the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Did you know that a Bible verse could change the world? Um, now, John 3.16 is powerful, and it has, and there's a lot of other ones. But an Old Testament prophet, a minor prophet at that, who would write these words, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. This is in Habakkuk 2.4, and it is repeated in Galatians. It's repeated in the book of Romans. It's repeated in the book of Hebrews. And then when Martin Luther saw that phrase, it started the Reformation. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and we're here today, and we pray that you are living by faith. That's what Galatians is all about, by grace through faith, and it is not of works. It can't be. It can't be of the law. So we want to take you through this, and when you're through, I pray that you'll be blessed just as Alex and I have been blessed just by studying it and sharing it with you. Alex, uh, I do this every time. Every time I go through a book, I, I like it better. <laughs> I don't well, know amen. how else to amen. say it, you know? Uh, yeah, I'm the same way, and I love the book of Galatians. Um, many, many years ago as a young Christian, I heard Galatians taught verse by verse on a Sunday night. Um, you know, Bert, I, I just got to say this. I, I like Sunday night church. I like Wednesday night church. Um, Angie and I got married, and three months later, we were living in Lynchburg, and Thomas Road Baptist always had Bible studies on Sunday night. And it was usually Dr. Falwell, but sometimes it would be Elmer Towns, or sometimes it would be uh, Harold Wilmington. And some of you Liberty people, you know these wonderful names. Sometimes it would be like Woodrow Kroll, who was a professor at Liberty. Wow. But I, I remember uh, going on Sunday night, and Dr. Falwell and the others taught over the summer, three whole months, verse by verse through Galatians. And I, I remember hearing... Uh, the just shall live by faith. And um, I would hear preachers say this, and I was, again, I'd only been saved a short time, just a newlywed, got married, and going to go to seminary. And they would say, by grace, through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. And it took me a few years before I really understood that. But actually, Bert, I think you'd agree, we should rejoice in those words, that we we. We don't have to try to earn our salvation. In fact, we can't earn salvation, but we can put our faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Who is he? He's the Son of God. What did he do? He paid it all, every bit, all of our sin debt. He paid on the cross, rose from the dead. We put our faith in him. We're forgiven and we're saved. Hallelujah. That's worth rejoicing over. Hallelujah. It is, Alex. And again, uh, if, if you want to live by works, I want to tell you, it's a failed proposition. Uh, they tried it in the Old Testament. They tried it early on in the New Testament. There's even people that try it today. 
It is only by grace through faith, as you said, plus nothing, minus nothing. And it is that faith and grace and faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If anybody try to come up any other way besides Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And that's what Galatians really says. And we got to chapter 2, and and we were working around verses 7, 8, and 9. And, and I wanted to start reading in verse 7 today because it we went over that, but it sets up the rest of those verses, Alex. So I'm going to read verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter. Now, that is so important. This is not a different message. It's just a different assignment. And uh, you need to keep that in mind. The message was the same. It came out of the Jerusalem conference in Acts chapter 15 that Jews and Gentiles are saved by grace through faith. And, Alex, this is what it continues. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship of the, to the circumcised also were effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they, be, uh, and they to the circumcised. They desired only we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, Alex, uh, this is referring back to Acts 15, so if you want more detailed, you can read about that. But they took Barnabas after the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem, to, and, and this was by revelation. You remember that scripture he said in verse two, chapter 2, verse 2? By revelation, God wanted right. them to go up. He wasn't yeah. He wasn't being called on the carpet. He didn't go up there to get their, uh, you know, their instruction. He went up there to share what God had done with the Gentiles. And so, Alex, they came away saying, yes, they, the Gentiles are ready and, and the Jews are ready. Uh, our main, and, and he, although Peter had already preached uh, to to Cornelius and the, you know, the Gentiles, he'd preached to the Samaritans, but the, their primary focus was two different groups. Have you found that true with even missionaries today and uh, even ministers today? Your focus has been evangelism, apologetics, going forth. Mine has been pastoring a local church. So, but it's the same gospel, isn't it? It is, it is, and, and I do think within missions and ministry and even in church planting, there are some different different assignments, or I don't know, maybe I would say some nuances. You know, I know some churches that are inner-city churches, and they really maximize on missions uh, and, you know, meeting human needs. I know some churches that, um, well, I had a, a dear uh, pastor friend. He was a mentor, and his name was Otis Davis, and uh, he's in heaven now. His dear wife is in heaven too, but Otis Davis was a real leader in the Baptist church around central North Carolina, and um, he started a church one time uh, at this country club, a golf course. Now, he had pastored some small country churches, 
And somebody said, you know, what are you doing uh, renting space at the country club on Sunday morning? He said, well, you know what? The down and outs need Jesus, but the up and outs need <laughs> Jesus too. And that, and that became a great church, and he pastored it till he went to be with the Lord. But you know what? It's, it's one gospel, but there are different assignments. But i, I got to point something out here in Galatians 2.9. You know, we have a lot of phrases that become very dear to us. And it's, Paul says, look, the one that worked in Peter is the same one that worked in me. And uh, when the pillars of the church, James, John, and Barnabas, they saw that I was for real, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. Now, if you go back to Acts 13.3, they uh, fasted and laid hands on uh, Paul and Barnabas. It's interesting, Bert, when I was a, a young believer, and I, I, I reference things like this, I don't mean to reference myself too much, but I just remember those years of kind of learning what church was all about, and it was just so wonderful. But whenever somebody would join Macedonia Baptist Church, Pastor Mark Sink would say, well, we're going to pray, and you come by and give them the right hand of fellowship. And well, that's taken right out of Galatians 2.9. Now, coming and just welcoming people, uh, that might be the right hand of fellowship. Back in Acts 13.3, when Paul and Barnabas were called and really ordained to the ministry, there was the laying on of hands. Bird, have you ever been in an ordination service where they would say, anybody who's a pastor or ordained minister, come and we're going to go through and lay hands and pray? Uh, there's something, because remember Jesus said that he would build his church, Matthew 16, 18, whether it's welcoming and fellowship with a handshake and a hug, or whether it's setting apart for an assignment by the laying on of hands and praying. I, I think these things connote that we are family, and we might have different assignments, but we're all on the same mission to make the knowledge of Jesus cover the world. Uh, do you see that? I do, Alex, and yes, I've been in those. I've been the one that hands were laid on when I was ordained, and I'll never forget that as just a young a uh, 20-year-old young man, I'm telling you, but I've been a part of laying that. But again, what we're doing, we don't ourselves today. Now, in that day, I do believe the apostles, uh, they not only had authority, but I believe there was some passing on of that authority to them. Today, we recognize, and here, I believe it's recognition of what God had done. They gave them the right hand of fellowship saying, we're joined together. I recognize what you're doing is valuable, important of God, and it's correct. And what we're doing is of God. Uh, you know, so there's an agreement there that laying on of hands, welcoming somebody into your fellowship. There's an agreement there that, that we are going to be on mission together, that we are working together, not separately, not against one another, but together, as a prof old professor of mine, Dr. James Travis, he is saying the best definition of fellowship is two two fellows in the same ship rowing the same way, <laughs> and and there's a lot, not against one another. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Two guys <laughs> in a canoe, one rowing one way and the one rowing the other. I, uh, I think you'd go around in circles. You sure you? would. And I think that's what, I don't mean, yeah, this is being mean a little bit. I think that's what's happening a lot of times with individuals. But we need to have a vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish. 
and we need to have a vision of following God as best we can. And, and I do believe God gives pastors. Uh, we recognize their responsibilities. They're to preach the word, as Jesus would tell Peter, feed my sheep, do that. As you were talking about Galatians on Sunday night, being Tom at Thomas Road, they were oh, feeding yeah. your soul, man. That was part of what they did. Another is to be an example to the flock. But here I found out there's that third element, and that is the pastor casting a vision of God's goals for a, for a church. Alex, uh, I found that to be so important when I was pastoring. Where are we going, Pastor? A pastor better have a goal in mind uh, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, hadn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. And and speaking of being specific and goal-oriented, you know, you look at verse 9, okay, the pillars of the church, they acknowledge Paul and uh, Barnabas, the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen, and they to the circumcision. Okay, the heathen there means, you know, the unevangelized Gentiles. But verse 10, very specific, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Now, Paul says, I'm, I was, yes, I'm willing. They were saying, don't forget to minister to the poor. Now, there's a word in the King James, froward, which means negative to something, and forward, which means positive to something. So Paul says, yes. Now, I want us to, I know we've got a break coming up, because verse 11 is a key verse, and uh, I want to do it justice. But you know what's amazing? The, the good news of salvation and liberty in Christ, but they didn't forget the poor, did they? They did not. And talking about verse 11, it enters in with a conjunction, but Peter, he had come there, and we're going to see a little bit of correction here. I mean, it's amazing when an apostle needs correction. I think we do sometime as well. We'll be right back. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Stephen Cliff, Deputy Administrator of the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. His office oversees vehicle safety standards and educates Americans about safe travel habits. Proverbs 3.23 reminds us of God's protection in our journey. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Stephen Cliff as he works to ensure safe travel in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says thanks to technology, our children can be kidnapped without ever leaving their bedrooms. He'll describe what it takes to keep that from happening as we spend two minutes with Tony. Every responsible parent here knows what his child is texting, watching, emailing. They don't get to say, this is my room. They don't get to say, this is my phone. They don't get to say, this is my computer. Ask them what they plugging into to get the power to keep the phone working and the computer going. I think it's the electricity you paying for. In fact, it's not their room, it's the room you letting them sleep in because they ain't paying for that room. 
So you are responsible to make sure that the technology is not driving them from God. Because a lot of our kids are being stolen on social media, being stolen on texting, being stolen on Instagram, being stolen on Twitter, being stolen on Snapchat. They're being stolen because we don't know the voices that are getting in their heads. Because they're saying now, don't you trust me? No. I want to find out what's going on, and if you are being legitimate, you shouldn't need to hide it. So you have kids who don't know who they are, don't know where they're going, don't know how to judge right or wrong, going around talking about, this is my truth, because they've been stripped away from the truth, and so as a result of that, chaos has set in. Learn to identify the items and ideas that try to take God's place in your life. Check out Tony's CD series, American Idols, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Colossians 1.13 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, and you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. We're in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, get a Bible, follow along if you can, and we'll study this, and then later on we'll do calls and Bible questions. But, uh, Bert, I've always kind of been um, mystified by verse 11 uh, because, okay, I'm just going to say it. Paul rebuked Peter publicly, okay? Peter had come to Antioch, and Paul is there. He says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Let me just say this. Um, I've I've got to believe Peter always, despite his boldness, and in the Garden of Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he grabbed a sword to fight for Jesus. But you know, he was not an educated man. And you've got the the leaders and the Jewish hierarchy that intimidated him. I, I think his compromise here was was really because of intimidation. Do you? Well, let me put it. Notice the word here in verse twelve: fearing those who were the circumcision. Not afraid of them hurting him, but I think you're right. Fearing of him, uh, feeling like he was less than. Feeling less than will cause so many difficulties in someone's life. Now, that's a difference in real humility. Feeling less than is putting yourself lower than you are, that you have a right to stand on the Word of God. Even if you are, you don't have the Ph.D., but someone else has the Ph.D., and you still are on the Word of God, you're strong. The other thing is his, is Paul's desire to confront. I read a book many years ago, starting out early in my ministry. It's called Caring Enough to Confront. 
Now, I don't have a confrontational kind of spirit in me. I, I, you know, I love to get along. I think that comes across. I do. But there is a time when, like Martin Luther said, said, here I stand, I can do no other. This is where Paul is. This is endangering of of the gospel being, uh, I, I would say, perverted. This, yeah, perverted right here early on. And so Paul, in what he's doing here, uh, with he did it early in the uh, church council. Now he's doing it with Peter coming to Antioch. Uh, and this is not uh, Peter's first time to be with Gentiles. Alex, this is what's amazing. I mean, he had gone to Cornelius, the Samaritans. He he had been this before. He even stood up in, in Acts chapter 15 and said, yes, Paul is right. The Gentiles were saved the same way. They had an experience just as we did, as we had it on Pentecost. They had that experience. It is legitimate. It shows you, if you're not careful, what fear will do, you know? Fear will oh, cause yeah. you to be paralyzed. It will even cause you to go backward many times. And here, he's not just paralyzed. He's reverting back. You see what I'm saying? It, well, you know, Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. And, you know, um, on, on the one hand, uh, it, it is, it's hard to read and imagine Peter's intimidation here, like you say, not physically, but just culturally and spiritually and intellectually. But I've also got to take note of Paul's boldness. Yes. You know, he was uh, one born out of due time. In other words, he, he got to the party late, but he became a believer. But he knew the truth of the gospel and, and as such was not afraid to confront Peter. And uh, verse 13 says, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. In other words, they were they were contrary too, and Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now, um, compromise and theological mistakes and division. There's a ripple effect, isn't there? There is. Now, I want to read this in the New King James. It really comes across strong. Verse thirteen, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even even Barnabas get that word even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. These people that came from James, whether they came under his authority, which I don't think so, I think they were just coming on their own, but using, have you name, note, you know name droppers, Alex, you know? They're oh, yeah. dropping the name of James. Now, who was that? He was the main pillar in the Jerusalem church. He was the one that had the final word over in Acts chapter 15. And, and so I believe they dropped his name. Now, he was a Jew, Jew, but he, had, he came away saying the same thing Peter had. And so even Barnabas, that really, really touched me because here's Barnabas, the most, the guy that has done more encouragement to Paul than anyone. I mean, he's been there again and again for Paul. And now even Paul says, hey, Barnabas, no, no. Uh, that's that's playing the hypocrite. Being this way here and another way over there, no, that cannot be. And I agree with you. The 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 courage that Paul had to stand up and, but he was right, Alex. You stand for what's right, regardless of of what may come your way. 
Well, um, two ironic things that I want to point out from verse 14. Paul says, when I saw that they walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. And then he goes on and he very logically talks about what he said to Peter. Here's, here's the thing. Keeping the law, you think you're walking uprightly, but if you've not believed the gospel of grace, you're not walking uprightly. I mean, that, that's part of the irony. Paul says, when I saw that they walked not uprightly, and the word there really means honestly, consistently, factually, according to the gospel. Hey, you, you want to do the work of the gospel? Don't work. Put your faith in Jesus. Yeah, and, I, I love his argument. If you being a Jew, yes, live yes. in the manner of the Gentiles and not of the Jews, why in the world, and I'm adding why in the world, <laughs> why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? There's, that's the hypocrisy that he is pointing out. And when they heard this, Alex, uh, we don't we don't uh, see Peter's response in here, but we know he responded because he wrote. Let me see, First Peter and Second Peter, and yes. it is by grace and faith. There isn't it? It, it really. It, it, I wonder if Peter said, "Wow, you've got a point." <laughs> I think he yeah. did myself. And man. and you know one of the things, and we've talked about this many times that you know Paul was just so logical. He, in Acts 17, he was very logical. In 1 Corinthians 15, you know, describing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is just, you know, you've got to hand it to him. He is consistently logical, and he's pointing out the, the mistake. It may have been well-intentioned, or it may have been willful disobedience, but the mistake of, of adding to the gospels, to the gospel singular. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, verse 16, which we cited on Monday, not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. And it's meaning by faith in Christ, what who he is and what he did. If Verse 17, if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Well, he, in verse 18, I'm going to paraphrase, Bert. He, he says, basically, I'm not going to go back to the empty way of life I used to live. He says, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Amen. <laughs> Alex. Works didn't say <laughs> it didn't. He said, "I'm not going backward." Now let's let's put this in perspective. This is probably I think it was. Uh, there there's some debate, but I believe this is the first letter that Paul wrote that we have recorded in the New Testament. Uh, Galatians. This is this has to be real. Seemed like it has to be real close after Acts 15. It's just so geared together, and he would write it to the churches of of Galatia. And, and here, the word justified. So he is using a word that, you know, we hadn't heard too much. They hadn't heard justified. Being declared righteous. You know, God declares us righteous when he knows we are what? Guilty. That's amazing. I, I can't undo my sin. My sin is ever before me. But God in his uh, power and because of the death of Christ, 
declares us righteous in his sight, Alex. That's that. Yes. And we're getting that word justified. Verse 16, he uses it two times. And again, he brings that. Uh, this is this is powerful stuff that Galatians uh, is bringing on the great doctrines of salvation, isn't it? Well, it, you know, it, it really is. And uh, we've got to remember that Paul understood the futility of works. I mean, he really did. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and, and it didn't save. But uh, the simple faith in Jesus and what he did, I mean, listen, we can't improve on the righteousness of Christ. He says in verse 19 of chapter 2, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. And of course, this very famous verse that we read at the beginning, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. (laughs) Galatians 2.20 is a verse, and of course it's been made into a song. Um, Folks, anything by which you previously had defined yourself, maybe you think, well, I'm a good person, or you know what? Um, I'm proud of those things I accomplished, or I've been a church member for 50 years. Whatever was that laurel you mentally hung around your own neck, and that thing that you, you would tell yourself, I'm a good person because of this or that, nail it to the cross. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. And all that stuff, Hebrew of the Hebrews, all my accomplishments, spiritual, cultural, intellectual, hey, look, it's been nailed to the cross. I'm dead to all that, but I'm alive because I'm in Christ. Amen. It doesn't get any better than this in studying our salvation. I I just, I have been crucified. I have been this is something that has taken place in my life. It's not of works where I'm continuing, continuing working uh, to have my salvation. Now, am I continuing to work out my salvation? I sure am. It's like a garden. Uh, after you plant the garden, you plant the garden one time, but guess what you do? You work out the garden. You take out the weeds. You take out there, but the garden is already there. Our salvation is already there. I have been crucified with Christ. That's his statement. And it is no longer I that am living, but Christ is living in me. No wonder Jesus said, don't you understand? I've got to go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go away, he will come. He's the paraclete, the comforter, and he will do, you'll do greater things with him in you than you have with me beside you. Alex, I mean, this is powerful. Christ lives in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit is like Christ. It's like he said, uh, they asked, uh, we would see the Father, and Jesus said, have you not understood that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father? When you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have Christ in you. No, don't don't try to separate that. Don't try to, to completely understand it, but it's Christ in us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit here in the book of Galatians is very powerful, especially when you get over to chapters 5 and 6, isn't it? 
Absolutely, absolutely. The final verse in Galatians 2, Paul says, I do not frustrate or hinder the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Wow. I mean, hey, if, if we could have earned it, if we could have worked or somehow done some meritorious deed or effort, then why would the Son of God have needed to be nailed to the cross? I mean, he was crucified, rose from the dead, precisely because we couldn't earn it. Now, Alex, you, this is what the church, uh, the believers in Galatia are doing. They're setting aside the grace of God. They're saying, okay, yeah, I was saved, but now I've got to live by the law. Paul is saying, no, you started with Christ. What do you do? You stay with Christ. You don't deviate. You don't throw it overboard. You stay with Christ. I'm not going to set aside the grace of God in my life at any time. And that's what really uh, Peter and Barnabas and all those people were doing. They're setting aside Christ and said, oh, yeah, we got to go back to, to the law. And he said, no, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ has died in vain. Hey, if people could have been saved any other way, that's what Jesus said in the garden, isn't it? Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Is I think that's a commentary on verse 21, Alex. Absolutely. And uh, I like the word frustrate. Uh, you know, he says, listen, um, I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God or hinder it or oppose it. You know, um, Paul, and of course he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was writing precisely what the Lord was directing him to write. In Colossians 2.8, he says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. In other words, watch out. Don't be misled. And in a way, does that remind you of the wording of Galatians 3.1? It does. And we're going to get to that tomorrow. Sure we are, who has bewitched you? That's right. Or tricked you? Oh, foolish Galatians, uh, you've been hoodwinked. Hey, 888-589-8840, give us a call. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she's like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about, about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose, and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us, that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one 
who is closer to you than your spouse. And there is no one who knows you better. And this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The prophet Isaiah diagnosed the condition of the rebellious nation of Judah prior to its conquest and exile by Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 59 of his book. He explained that Judah's transgressions separated the nation from Yahweh. Due to Judah's sinfulness, truth had fallen in the streets. The consequences for their rejection of truth was that lawlessness abounded. Similarly, truth has been rejected in our nation. Abundant lawlessness is the consequence for a nation that has turned away from the Lord. Repentance is what is needed in our nation, starting in the church. Righteousness is what exalts a nation. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Jesus is little bit of Southern gospel, toe-tapping, high-energy music <laughs> on this it. Wednesday afternoon. What a song to sing over what we've been talking about, Alex. Jesus is alive. He is, and he's enough, man. Not Jesus plus, not Jesus minus. Jesus alone. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to go to the phones now. The number is 888-589-8840, And by the way, those great song choices that you enjoy are... The musical selections by Devin Patrick. Uh, and Jim faithful. Stanley. And Jim Stanley has some of them, too. They'd work together on that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're going to go to Texas and talk to David. David, uh, you're the first caller on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Hey, good afternoon, fellas. Good to have you. Hey, it's great to talk to y'all. Um, y'all are a blessing to all of us out here. We can really feel that y'all's love come through your voices on the radio, and, and God bless y'all. To God be Amen. the glory. Thank you. Thank Praise you, God. Man. Amen. Hey, um, I, I got a question. You know, yesterday y'all were talking about uh, David and Goliath and what's your Goliath. Um, all my life, you know, I was saved when I was 13, and, and I'm 59 now, and I've always battled with the question of why in the Bible. I know we're saved by grace, and we can't be perfect. We're all sinners. But why in like Second Timothy and in Revelation does the Bible say that we will face God and the book of life will have our our works in it and you know, we will be judged by the things we do. I don't understand. Okay. The, uh, do you know what I'm saying? I do, David. I do. Let me just tell you, we're gonna be judged. Our our salvation has already been declared if our name is in the book. But our works are gonna be rewarded. God, God's got some rewards up in heaven waiting for those, some of them that love his appearing, some that are good pastors. Uh, 
some that are overcome the evil one. Alex, God's got these rewards. He wants to hand them out. And and have you decided if you get any, what you're going to do with them, by the way, Alex? Well, according to the book of Revelation, we're going to throw them at his feet. <laughs> Amen. And, but that's, by the way, that's what that's referring to for David, isn't it? It is. I love the name of the Christian group, Casting Crowns. Amen. One of the best names ever. I agree. Because what it means is that we will cast our crowns at his feet, and maybe just maybe we'll recite Psalm 115, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, give glory, but unto thy name give glory, for the sake of the truth. But uh, let me give a little assignment, if I could. If, if you would read Romans 14, 10 through 12, and 2 Corinthians 5, because the wording is somewhat similar, but it says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not evaluating heaven or hell, saved or lost, but the judgment seat of Christ, where it says, yes, our works will be judged. This is not about are you born again or not, because going to heaven and putting your faith in Jesus, being a born-again believer, that is decided in this life. And friend, everybody... If, you, if you've not done that, call on Jesus today and be born again. But the judgment, the Bema seat, uh, the elevated seat where the referee judges the athletes, that's not about eternal destiny, but that is about the rewards you're going to be given for your faithful service to Christ post-salvation. Bert, do I have that right? You got it exactly right, Alex. And let me tell you, if you're not saved, you won't even be at the Bema seat. You won't even you, you, if yeah. you make it to the bema seat, it means you're in. You're in. It's like uh, it's like the the Olympics, and and it you know you got the gold medalist, the silver, and you know the bronze medalist. You've made it. You've made it to the stand. You've you've done it because of God's grace. But now you're going to be rewarded according to those works. And remember Ephesians two eight nine and ten. For we're saved by grace through faith. That not of itself is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then in verse 10, but we are his workmanship created to do good works. Uh, our salvation is not based on those works, but our rewards, the, yeah, Alex, they, they're, they're going to be looked at it. And that's what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. If, I, if I'm doing all these things just to please myself, and not according to love, and not loving God and pleasing Him, uh, no rewards are going to be waiting on you if you did it yeah. selfishly. It's for those that do it because we love Him, we love His appearing. Uh, so, hey, I hope that helps, David. Yes. That's a and good we, question, by the way. Great question, David. Great question. We're going to go to Lisa uh, in Tennessee. Lisa, uh, thank you for holding Hey, guys, I'm just tickled to death to get to talk to you. I listen to you all the time. I drive a truck, and y'all just bless my day every day. Hey, uh, we we question. are deeply grateful for the truck drivers, let Amen. me tell you. <laughs> They're our heroes. Go ahead, Lisa. Well, <laughs> I don't see myself as a hero. I'm just doing a job. But I tell you, y'all make it a whole lot better during the day. I listen to AFA all day, but you guys, I look forward to you. bring the Bible alive for me. Um, also, I've always been told, and I don't know why this thought come to my head, but I thought, I'm going to ask you guys anyway. I've always been told that um, the little child, that it's somewhere in the Bible that the little children will lead us. And I've not been able to find it. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, Lisa, yeah, Alex, uh, he's... I was 
Alex Isaiah has the concordance. Isaiah, uh, let me just tell everybody, Alex has a concordance in his brain. I have to, I have to find mine. Alex has just got it up there. Where is it, Alex? Isaiah eleven six. Now this is a verse, and and we we say this a lot. You know, whenever like a child says something good, or we often say, "Well, you know, a little child shall lead them." This is actually a verse, Isaiah eleven six, about the millennium. I believe it says the wolf will lie down with the li- the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Bert, um, we we're not going to have the what some scholars call the peaceable kingdom until Christ returns. That's right. But see, ordinarily, a wolf and a lamb, that poor lamb would be in mortal danger. A leopard and a young calf, uh, danger, and the suckling child safely playing by the adder's den. I mean, we can't even hardly conceive that now. But when Christ comes back. Um, there's two ways to look at this. For one thing, a little child ordinarily wouldn't lead an adult. And it may be talking in Isaiah eleven six, a little child. Could you imagine a little toddler safely leading a wolf or a leopard around? <laughs> it's a beautiful but picture, though. What? It'll be peace on earth. But be. the other thing is that I think about Jesus said to enter the kingdom of heaven, we had to become like a little child. Now, what is that? A little child is very innocent. A little child is very trusting. And I think maybe in that glorified state, in the presence of the Lord, we're all going to be childlike again. Not childish, but childlike. Part of it, Bert, animal, human, uh, sin is gone, peace reigns, Jesus is present. It's because the curse is removed and we're with the Savior. And the only way you get there is trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've never trusted him, repented, turned away from your way and your sin, recognized Jesus as the very Son of God that would go to the cross and die living a, after living a perfect life and rising again on the third day, and you, you surrender your life to him as you turn away from your way and turn to him alone, uh, you'll make it if you'll do that. We'll be there. I want to tell this story and do it real quickly. This is just talking about a little child leading them. Uh, Years ago, over 40 years ago, Jan and I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in in Kansas City, Missouri. And Dr. Debbie Crystal, who was then the pastor, First Baptist Church Dallas, was, was still living. He had preached. And he had come out the door as we were going in, and we were pushing Nathan, who's now co-host of Exploring Missions, uh, Nathan, we were pushing him in a stroller. Dr. Uh, Chris was stopped. He spoke to Jan and myself, got down on his knees, and he looked at Nathan. And he said, well, there's a little Baptist. And then he looked up and he said, you know, they're the most effective people that come to church. And we looked at him and said, what do you mean? He said, I've never seen a baby come by themselves. He always brings somebody with them. And oh, uh, wow. I'll never forget that. And he and, and by that, uh, a church, let me just tell you, a church that has good child care, and they put a premium on children and their care. I want to tell you, you are affecting the heart of God, and I think you're evangelistic and missional when you do that, Alex. I just needed to get that in. 
I think you're right about that. Well, God bless you. And Lisa, thanks for calling. How about we go over to Kentucky? Susan in Kentucky, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, you yeah. Go right ahead, Susan. Okay. Well, I have a question. Um, I grew up in a church um, for a very long time, and I just left it probably four years ago. Um, my family still attends, and we don't quite get along just because um, I've read the book. Well, I'm reading the book. <laughs> um, but I'm about to visit them, and we have a lot of binding between us because the church I left, um, when I left there, they said that um, I'm going to go to hell because I left the church and the flock and everything else. But anyway, um, I've been trying to give them what I know and what I've learned. Um, they have apostles, um, a chief apostle, apostles, bishops, everything you can think of. Um, and I've learned that Jesus had his 12, um, and that was it. There is no more. Um, and it says, be aware of false teachers out there, and there'll be ones that call themselves apostles and are not. Um, and they also believe that when you die, um, that you don't go in the presence of God, and that you go to a realm and that they have these services where you pray for pray for the dead, um, where they can be forgiven. And through communion by a proxy minister, um, they can be forgiven. Now, I've been telling them that that's not the case, but um, is there, my question is, is there any kind of false teaching in the Bible where it specifically says that, um, other than what I just said, but um, so I can clarify with them, because I'm going to go visit them, and I know we're probably going to talk about it. Um, I just want to know what your thoughts are as far as um, false teachers. Thank you, Susan. Let me share the most disturbing part is not that they believe apostles or bishops, but the most disturbing part is believing that latter part that you said, the proxy part, and and apostles, the name of those means sent out once with commission. I believe with all my heart there was those first apostles that were sent before the Bible was read so they could carry on the word that Jesus spoke. Today, the most the ones that carry out the job of apostles more than anyone else would be missionaries uh, going to, to places. You know what I mean, Alex? Mm -hmm. um, but can you give Susan an answer? Well, God bless you, because um, there, there's a couple of things at play here, and first of all, I feel very, very privileged that you would uh, trust us with the question and that you would listen, and so, first of all, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate that, and certainly we want to keep you in prayer as you, as you uh, seek the Lord and seek to influence those around you. A lot of times people use the word apostle in the sense of being sent out, planting churches, and the word ecclesiology, the ecclesia, the governing of churches, right? But but even if that were the only sense of the word apostle, which is which it isn't, uh, and the word apostle appears like a hundred and three or four times in the New Testament. One of the criteria, though, 
which no living person today really can say is in 1 Corinthians 9.1. And Paul says part of apostleship is having seen the risen Jesus. You know, when Paul is correcting the Corinthian church, he defends his authority to do that, and he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And the answer is yes, he did. The apostle Paul certainly did see the risen Jesus, Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road. So for one thing, true biblical apostleship includes having personally encountered the risen Lord Jesus, which... To my knowledge, no living person on the world right now has physically been in the presence of, of the risen Jesus. The other thing is, let me just say this, Jude verse 3 talks about the faith once delivered. Now, what is the message of salvation? The one unchanging, never needs improvement, gospel of salvation, faith in Jesus. In fact, Galatians 1 verse 8 And here's a question I've always asked people. Was the Apostle Paul really an apostle? And and everybody will say, well, sure. If anybody was an apostle, Paul was. Well, Paul, Galatians 2.20, saved by faith, not works. In fact, Galatians 1.8 says, if anybody ever preaches a different salvation message, let him be anathema. So help people understand 1 Corinthians 9.1 that true apostles have seen the risen Jesus but the other thing is this message of salvation, 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it's by faith, not works. Galatians 2, 16 and 2, 20, not by works, but by faith. So, Bert, um, there's a lot of wiggle room when it comes to how we do church, but when it comes to how we are saved... There's one message, just through faith in Jesus. That's the important part, Susan. Get along with them as best you can. Uh, Give an answer. Try not to dwell on it. Uh, But listen, Jeff, Iris, wish we could got to your questions today. Call us back. We'll be in Galatians chapter 3 tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. We're getting into the doctrine of salvation. Again, thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Tell someone about the program, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus.